Bloom, Buddhist Reflections on Serenity and Love by Ajahn Sona Chapter 10. Be Kind to Yourself As you move into day two of the retreat, it's good to remember that it often takes about three days to get here. So if you're struggling, it's because your astral soul is somewhere near the border and you're slowly reeling it in on a silver string. The good news on the other side of the coin is that it will take about three days to get back when you return home. Your peaceful retreat will stay with you for a while. Occasionally, you may even have a breakthrough that stays with you for the rest of your life and perhaps beyond. Be patient with yourself settling in, and don't worry too much about being overly disciplined or self-critical. But don't expect magic at the 73rd hour either. Sometimes we interfere with the process by doing these crazy things, setting up expectations. The Buddha tells us that this is a rich and lifelong process of cultivation, a systematic maturity. The Buddha was the first of the neuroscientists to say that the brain is plastic right past a hundred years of age. His type of neuroscience was introspective since he didn't have access to MRIs or anything like that but he seems to have been 2,500 years ahead of science. It's only in the last while that we've realized that in all kinds of processes, the possibilities of change continue throughout your life. I'm 60 now and happy, and not so surprised to find that I continue to grow and change. I spent the last year in retreat, a switch from my normal structures, which is part of the process. We should never think we are fixed into anything. All kinds of changes can and should take place. If we feel resistance, we should ask, are we resisting growth? Are we resisting the unknown? The unknown can be a great impediment. Sometimes we may spend many stagnant years before making a change, and then we'll ask, why did I wait? The unknown is a micro-facsimile of death. One of the subjects for frequent recollection is, I am of the nature to die. Perhaps when you come to this reflection, you imagine yourself in a coffin or something, but that image will not take you far. It will benefit you a great deal more to think about changes in your life, new experiences and possibilities, directions that take courage, but lead to new experiences and growth. It is often more profitable to think, I am of the nature to be afraid of the unknown. This may be what the Buddha was asking in asking us to reflect on, I am of the nature to die. It takes courage to be here on retreat. You are part of a small percentage of the population that even contemplates going off to a monastery or retreat center. When you were preparing to come here and thinking of what to tell your friends about this little holiday, 
you will have realized you are an explorer and that this takes courage. This is hopeful, for you will be facing new things. Perhaps you will be facing the wall as well. Even facing the wall, not going anywhere, takes patience and perseverance. One of the reasons I require that people who come on these retreats have some meditation experience is that it can be quite intimidating. There are traditions that allow anyone to walk into a 10-day retreat, and this can mean that there are runaways. There is a great demand on the mind to be sensorily deprived in a monastery, a low sensory environment, and to spend the live-long day in just being there in a very simple way standing, sitting, and walking. You should feel quite positive that you are undertaking this practice for a period of eight, nine, or ten days. My own retreat was for a year, much like this, except that I was by myself. Each year, you don't quite know who you are or who you will be. There is always the possibility of being surprised in this process towards freedom. It's important to face oneself directly in meditation, to sit even if it is to feel the stagnation of the body sometimes, the aches of the knees, the lack of stimulation, to face this and not feel panic. It may or may not generate fear. By doing this, you begin to recognize what it feels like just undergoing the human experience. There's nothing to be concerned about. This is the great and important preparation for all kinds of life experiences. People often try to stay safe and avoid the unknown. They try to not face themselves, to distract themselves, because they get it backwards. They think that people going to the monastery are fleeing reality. But it is here in retreat that we face reality. Here you can't avoid it. Reality will come for us all, whether we try to avoid it or not. But if you have practiced, you have built resources of great value. I congratulate you for undertaking these things. Over the years, I have seen so many people over long periods of time. I have seen changes and all kinds of extremes in their lives. It has been a very warm and human experience. In Western culture, Buddhism is often viewed as a psychology or a study, perhaps a discipline. But it would not have lasted if it were not a human and heart-centered experience. In the culture around us, it may seem alien, but remember, it's all about the heart. It's about the emotional structure. Suffering takes place only in the emotional structure. And it's the warmth and cultivation of the emotional structure which overcomes and relieves suffering and distress as well. Earlier tonight, we recited the Mangala Sutta, the Sutta on Great Blessings, the Sutta Nipata 2.4. This Sutta is all about relationships, relationships to your family, your jobs, your skills, your education the duties you owe your parents, your relatives, and your children. The Buddha is interested in you becoming aware of how to bless your life. It's not about asking God to bless your life, but recognizing for yourself what it is that blesses your life. If you have a good job, you know that is a blessing. 
If you've had a bad job, you know how miserable that can be. The first blessing is not to associate with fools. I wish I'd read this sutta a little earlier in my life, because at one point I was under the assumption that it might be good for one to be around obnoxious and difficult people. I thought this might be a test of spiritual practice. But the Buddha compassionately tells us not to do that. It is much better to be with the wise. The Buddha is merciful, not demanding you do things you cannot do. One thing an ordinary person cannot do is to associate with the foolish and remain aloof and untouched by the experience. These are the basics, the backgrounds to success in your meditation. We are social creatures. We're in relationship with people, and it can be very demanding. When you go to a retreat, you'll find that you will carry with you the difficult relationships from your life. You'll be having to deal with them. As we grow in our capacities with meditation, difficult interactions start to not stick with us so much, and that is a blessing as well. Still, the Buddha is interested in you being proactive. Arrange your life in a merciful way. Find your way into the company of the wise. If this is not possible in your circumstances, then associate with them through books, perhaps. Use every resource you have. Use your own intelligence and compassion for yourself in order to produce this blessing in your life. The Mangala Sutta also mentions locations for living. This is not always easy to arrange. What is a suitable place? It's a place conducive to well-being, the simple things. Health of your body, reasonable environment, not too harsh, noisy, distracting, or unpleasant to the senses. These are conditional structures to be sought, conditions to be arranged and optimized. As we make our way through the list, we find him mentioning going from time to time to talk with meditators, people who are practicing. Better still if you can go yourself and actually meditate, practice yourself, and listen to Dhamma. At this point, the Buddha is talking not just about good company, but about meditation instructions. Inquire about meditative instructions. Sit down and undertake them. This would have been a challenge for most of the people the Buddha was giving advice to. A few of his disciples were aristocrats and did have time. Some were from royal families. But large numbers of the people who listened to his talks were probably farming families who had 12 children or more. Imagine the difficulty of finding time to meditate, and a 10-day retreat would have been out of the question. Yet, there are reports of these people talking to each other around the well as they're getting water. They talked about what sort of mindfulness they were practicing. Are you practicing mindfulness of the body, or the breath, or loving kindness, or reflecting on the recollections? Ordinary people were bringing this into their day-to-day -day life. They were finding time. Some of the most advanced disciples lived a very, very quiet lay life. Katakara, the potter, attained the third stage of enlightenment, but could not go off to be a monk because both of his elderly parents were blind and they were helpless without him. He scraped out a livelihood and kept his parents going, 
But whenever he was not making pots of clay to get a meager livelihood, he spent his time dwelling in stillness, in meditation. It's possible in the lay life to focus on this. Today, we can see all kinds of people, artists, poets, musicians, people in the sciences, who are tremendously devoted to some aspect of cultural or inner life. They have a remarkable perseverance and devotion, even as they deal with a livelihood. Meditation practice for lay people can be like this. I hope it turns out to be not just a hobby for you, but something that more or less swallows your life and is integrated into all aspects of your life. If you had not meditated before and you heard these kinds of things, you might be frightened and run for the door. But as time goes on, you will begin to realize that this is exactly what you signed up for. You signed up for a life. The meditative life is a contemplative life, a rich inner life. Most of you, if you were in a bookstore, would be attracted to books with titles more along the line of the inner life rather than a book on football statistics. The words contemplative, meditative, inner life are beautiful to you. This is not the case for many people. Many people find this incomprehensible or a waste of time, perhaps even dangerous. But if getting a life is important to you, you won't get one until you go inward. That's where the wealth is, the treasure is. This does involve walking in a different direction, though, than the majority of people go. But the destination is gorgeous. Sometimes we don't know this at first, and it can be hard to find the joy in it, hard to find the nourishment and refreshment. But it's there. The possibility is there and worth the efforts that one makes. The Buddha put it all on the line in a very radical move. He just left and went into complete uncertainty. And since the Buddha's time, there have been others who have done just that. Some have even taken more chances than the Buddha himself and made surprising ventures into the insecure life. Whatever the karmic dilemma we find ourselves in, we have to keep hearing again and again that we are moving towards something very human. We're moving toward the heart's fulfillment. How does the heart know? How can we know what another life would be like? How do we have an intuition that there could be more when we only have one life here to refer to? There is some level of experience below the surface that tells us. That is the mind, what the Buddha calls the luminous mind. In theistic traditions, they ascribe this to some other voice leading them on, because it doesn't always seem to be your voice. Intuitive knowledge, intuitive urges just arise. The more you sit and empty yourself, the more it occurs. This is one of the important reasons that I emphasize silence and stillness of the mind, even more than Vipassana exercises. This mind knows what freedom is and aspires to that. When we get out of the way, reducing our discursive activity, we are told things. But first, we have to set up the conditions for this to arise. The Buddha has a gradual approach. He says it all naturally flows out of the stillness of the mind. His own awakening happens when he gives up some inappropriate and unprofitable endeavors. He is kind to himself. 
he comes around to a very humane approach, not extreme. He takes the middle path. He knows this will be pleasant, this silence of the mind. He's just going to sit there by the river, under the shade of the tree, and be kind to himself. Sometimes when you read the story of the awakening of the Buddha, because you already know the ending, you think, he's sitting there waiting for enlightenment. But he doesn't know this. He just knows he's giving up the harsh ways, the painful ways. He knows now that they are not good. He's already given up the luxurious and the superficial. Now he's just trying something that is kindly. He doesn't know what it will lead to. We also need to be kind to ourselves. If we look back over our lives, we may see occasions when we've been too harsh, and also occasions when we've naively tried out the joys of sensory experience and found them lacking. So we are in the same condition as the Buddha was. You come then to a meditation retreat and you don't know what's going to happen. You're doing something wise, taking up this kindness to yourself. It's a bit of a torment to be thinking all the time, to be preoccupied, the gears constantly grinding. And just falling asleep isn't a very satisfactory way to get away from the mind. So now you ask, how can I set up conditions which are conducive to kindness to myself? This is the bringing of the mind to serenity, the gentle experience of the breath, the airy quality, the cooling, refreshing, kindly quality of the breath. If you stepped out the door into spring right now, you would notice the freshness of the air as it hits your face, and you would tilt your head back and smile and breathe. You would take a deep breath. That is the perfect response. That is breath meditation. A smile and the feel of the air moving across your face and the inhalation of it. For the moment, thoughts stop. The moment is good. That is close to perfect meditation without even trying. That is the essence of breath meditation. We may hear breath meditation explained in many ways, but Breath meditation is air meditation, and we don't analyze the air. Spiritual language is poetry about the human experience, and that's why poetry is sometimes hard to understand. It may seem to be a jumble of language because it's trying to get at the true inner experience of what it is to be human. You're not always operating out of the rational mind, the analytical mind, out of the mind full of names. Some experiences are difficult to capture in linear words, and so poetic descriptions arise. The Buddha uses these kinds of descriptions. He talks about dissolving into the air, to be air, to be light, to be free. The quality of the emotion is joy. The body fades into the background, and there's just air, and it is delightful. This is what he's experiencing himself. And he's saying, if you can possibly find the opportunity, it would be a shame for your life to go by and for you to not experience that. Dissolve your ordinary preoccupation in the mundane, dry, lower life of human existence and demands and move into that which is celebrated in poems and by mystics, this lovely freedom. 
It is not so mysterious or weird. It is a moment of sanity where you're liberated from the difficulties and problems that are fabricated by the mind. This is what we should aspire to. This is breath meditation. You must approach it with some sort of lightness and joy, opening to that experience without trying too hard or too seriously. From being free, lucid, cool, and spring-like, wonderful insights can arise, and that is Vipassana. This is only the second day. Be aware of the time that you require to settle in, develop a little routine. Be merciful and kind to yourself. And remember, this is a human experience. It's not a PhD in Eastern Religious Studies. This is a straightforward human experience and full of beautiful potential.